0: the only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash ETM and enter code ETM at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E.com slash ETM. Go to joindeliteme.com slash ETM and use code ETM for 20% off. So yeah, the world looks a little bit different now than it did just a few weeks ago. But one thing that hasn't changed is the power of passive income maybe more so now than ever. On today's episode, Rachel Richards shares her journey to earning over $10,000 in passive income a month at just 27 years old. And she's also gonna dish the tips you need to know to build passive income right now.
1: You're listening to Millennial Money with award-winning money expert and serial entrepreneur, Shauna compton Game, where we flip the script on the old school approach to everything your parents never taught you about money.
0: I guess I'll start by just saying that I am 99.9% positive that I either have or had coronavirus. I live in Los Angeles, California, and they won't seem to give me a test because I'm not in a high-risk group, but I have been sick for about three weeks now, and last week it got really bad, a constant cough, about six days of a fever, and just felt very different than other colds and flu bugs. But thankfully, I am on the mend and feeling so much better. Still have a bit of the cough and you can probably hear it in my voice. But it's been hard during this time because I really want to bring you lots of new podcast episodes, but my cough has kept me on the sidelines. But I really want to use just a few minutes to further explain how important it is that we all do our part right now. Stay in if you can, protect the immune-compromised. Of course, we all know now, right? Wash your hands at least 20 seconds. Stay away from others if you can. And please just don't hoard groceries, right? We all need toilet paper. It's really important, like the most important thing we can do for our health. And I think also for the economics of our world right now, we have never been in a situation like this, at least not for probably a 100 years. And I think the world is just going to look very different. It's going to be really interesting conversations to talk about on the show about money, about the world, about what in the world to do, what's going on. It'll get better. I'll get better, but so many people won't. So let's all do this together, okay? Now let's get to today's podcast. Rachel will inspire you. At 27 years old, she's a former financial advisor She's really made a name for herself in personal finance because in 2019, she quit her job, retired with over $10,000 a month in passive income. She's also the best-selling author of Money, Honey and Passive Income Aggressive Retirement. And she's going to share what you need to know to start building passive income right now. Yes, even in isolation, quarantine, whatever you want to call it, use this time to get new skills and start building passive income. There is so much that I want to talk to you about when I was writing out questions. Uh, I was like, okay, I have to, I have to stop the questions. <laughs> Otherwise, this will, be, <laughs> this will be too long of an interview. But I, I wanted to start out um, and ask you probably like the big high level question, but how did you become a real estate investor with 35 rental units at 27? Like, that is seriously impressive. So you- you've got to give us some of the details. Like, h- oh. how did you get there? <laughs> yeah, for
2: sure. Um, I and it's crazy too because my husband and I really only started investing in real estate in 2017. Wow. Um, yeah, and so we ha- we have 35 units, not properties. So that's something that people sometimes get mixed up. Um, so really, 35 doors, and we have five properties. So like a couple of our properties are 11 or 12 unit apartment type buildings.
1: Right.
2: Um, but in 2017, you know, real estate investing was something I had always wanted to do. Because in my opinion, it's one of the best tools for building long-term wealth. Yes. So we started looking for our first rental in 2018. Um, And just to back up a little bit more, like the way that we came up with the money in the first place is just because we basically didn't have any debt and we were really good at saving. So I paid my way through school, through college by selling Cutco knives. Have you heard of Cutco? (laughs) Yes.
0: I think my family bought some of
2: those. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Too funny. So they're the best. And And so I paid my way through school by selling knives. And then my husband, Andrew, had uh, military benefits because he's a veteran. So he went back to college and used his benefits to pay for school. So we didn't graduate with any debt. And not only that, but we were both like pretty frugal and pretty responsible with our money starting out. So we were saving, you know, good chunks of money every paycheck. So by the time I was 24, and um, he was 29. We had a pretty good chunk of money saved, so that's where the initial money came for the down payment. Um, in 20, so in 2016 we started looking, and then in 2017 we found our first duplex that we bought. And we're in Louisville, Kentucky. So this is a very low cost of living area. You know, the housing market is low cost, so it's a great place to invest. And I preface you know, what I'm about to say, uh, because I know my Bay Area people would just scoff at me if heard <laughs> right. the price of our first rental. Um, but our duplex cost us $100,000. Wow! So we put 20 grand down in order to buy it. Um, and, and you know, you just can't buy houses for that cheap in some other parts of the country. But that's how we've been able to do it here. Um, and once we bought that first duplex, like that's the best investment we'll really have ever um bought. That's what I tell my husband. We were making $500 in cash flow right off the bat. And now when it's fully rented, we're making closer to eight dollars or $900 per month. That's So that's in pure profit. And our ROI on that, like our cash on cash return has been close to 20%. Um, so once we bought that first property, then we were just saving all that extra money that we were making. So you start to build up momentum quickly. And then we had enough money to buy the next property. And then we had all that additional income. So it's kind of like a snowball effect. Um, We bought five properties in a span of two years. And we own so that's over 35 units total that we own
0: now. Wow. I mean, that is just it's it sounds so easy. I know that it's not Always that easy, but, um, you know, I think everyone wants to invest in real estate. I hear that like time and time again. I, I teach at a university here in California and the students are always like, yeah, I want to buy real estate. I want to buy real estate. I'm like, okay, but we have to actually like do some research and and understand, because I think most people think, well, you just buy like a single family home or a condo and suddenly you're a real estate millionaire, which it just doesn't always work out that way. Um, Can you walk us through a little bit about like the process you went through of of finding that first property? Like what sort of research did you do? Like, were you, were you fearful at all? Like, like what was that process like for you?
2: Oh yeah, for sure. I'll I'll definitely share some of the things that I was looking for. You know, it was scary buying the first property
0: because this is the
2: first first real investment you're making. You're putting so much money into yeah. it, and you don't know for sure. You know, you don't have any past success to back yourself up, so it's scary. And <laughs> um, but now though, like it's there's no emotion in it. I know when a property is a good deal or when it's not, so I can make a very you know non-emotional, logical decision, and I know it's going to work out. Um, but the first one's always scary. So there's a couple of things that my husband and I were looking for in a rental property. And the first thing is location. You know, you really have to define whether you're investing in your city or you're investing out of state, what specific area do you want to invest in? Um, because you can invest in areas that maybe aren't as nice, but you'd make more money. Or you can invest in areas that are nicer, but maybe it's more competitive, so it's right. hard to make money. So that's where we narrowed it down first. And then we had basically two primary requirements in terms of the financials. So we, because when we were investing in real estate, I wanted to have a certain return on investment. And when I say when I say that, I mean cash on cash ROI. Because I knew I could make eight or 10% in the stock market. I mean, that's what the stock market does over the long run. So I didn't want to invest in a rental to make eight or 10%, because then what's the point? You know, I could just put it in the stock market. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to try. I want to at least get a 12% ROI, and that feels like it's more worth it to me because that's a much higher return. So that's what we were looking for. And then the other thing we wanted was to, and at this point, we were kind of looking at single family homes. So I was thinking I wanted to have. At least two or three hundred dollars in cash flow per month from that single family rental, mm-hmm. um, and you know maybe for yeah. a duplex, maybe I would want three or four hundred dollars per month for the total duplex. Um, so those are my initial requirements. And once you really figure out what you want those to be for yourself, then it makes the process very easy. You can take the emotion out of it. You just run the numbers until you find something that meets your requirements. And then, you know, you do some more research and make sure it, it's really meeting the requirements and then you buy it, um, which, you know, sounds easier said <laughs> than done. So I don't, I don't want to underestimate how easy this is because one thing I've seen real estate investors do is they become discouraged because they're looking for weeks and weeks and months and months and they haven't found anything. And it is so easy to get discouraged and to think, man, I'm never going to find anything. Um, But truly in real estate investing, patience pays off. It took us nine solid months to find that first duplex. Wow. And I'm so glad we waited because... We found that duplex. It was perfect. It was everything we wanted. So, all the other properties we went and saw and all the other offers we made that didn't work out, like that all happened for a reason. Because this first duplex was the absolute best rental property we have ever bought.
0: And when you talk about location, of course, we all know that like location, 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 uh, saying with, with real estate. But like when you're looking at location, are there certain things you're looking for or like certain things you're trying to avoid?
2: Yeah, and this is more personalized. Yeah. Some things like I don't want to be in a really high crime rate area. Like I don't want to feel unsafe when I'm going to my rental property. Um so and but I there's so many investors that I know in Louisville who actually prefer those areas because they're making a lot more. You know, the houses are cheaper in those areas. So mm. their ROI is a lot higher. And that's great, you know, because that works for some people. Um, that's just not what I wanted. And, you know, another thing that I look for is what are the up and coming areas right now. And what are the areas that maybe were up and coming a few years ago, but now are completely oversaturated? Because those ones I'll stay away from because normally the prices will be too high to even get into those markets anymore. Um, So it's, it's easiest to do this in the city that you live in because you obviously are familiar with your city, but it's also not impossible to invest out of state. I mean, I know many people who have done it and it's just a matter of maybe doing a little more due diligence and research and asking people in that city for their opinion. But you can definitely find those areas where they're just becoming popular. People are really moving in there. And that's typically a great place to pick up a rental property.
0: I'm so glad that you brought that up because I actually have a lot of friends who I live in Los Angeles, obviously very expensive. Uh, even to purchase something that is quote unquote lower priced, you still need a hefty chunk of cash to get in at a, you know, 5 or 10% or 20% down. And so I have a lot of friends who have purchased out of state in in areas where like Louisville, it's it's a lower cost of entry and they've had great success and you know there was that fear of inv- not being able to to see their investment every day not being able to drive by it but they have had success with that so like what do you say to people who who live maybe in some of these areas where real estate is really high priced and it might be tough to even get started yeah
2: i so i love like talking about this. So thank you for asking, because I think it's so important to know that no matter where you live, you can still do this. And if you live in LA or San Diego or some of these places in California, it, it it might be impossible to find the rental property that will work for you just because of financial constraints. I mean, I certainly wouldn't be able to go out there and buy a million dollar property and put 20% down. You know, not everyone has 200 grand sitting yeah, around that. And, you know, that's what a lot of those properties can be anywhere from 500 to a million or up. Um, But I have heard so many people from that area or from different parts of the country that have just decided, I'm going to buy a property in a completely different state. You know, even states that are, you can't even drive to, that would be too long of a drive. You would have to fly to. Um, So one of my good friends who lives in Arizona, like an expensive part of Arizona um, she grew up, I think, I think it was Missouri, where she grew up. So she was familiar with this city in Missouri, and she decided, okay, I don't live there anymore, but you know, I this is, if I'm going to invest anywhere else in the country, at least I know this city somewhat. So she invested there. She bought this rental, she just turned it into an Airbnb. I mean, this is like her first month renting it out as an Airbnb, wow. and her ROI is already like 20 or 25 wow. percent. I mean, something absolutely crazy. Yeah. So it absolutely can be done. I mean, I know it feels scary, but you can still do your due diligence. You can still do all the things that you would do even if you were in the same city as that by having other people do it for you. So I definitely encourage you to do that. Another example, um, is a friend that I have that used to live in Hawaii. And then she moved back to the U.S., like the continental U.S. And she decided, I'm going to keep my rental property, the property that I lived in in Hawaii and rent it out. And so that feels scary because that's so, so far away. (laughs) But she has managed her property in Hawaii. She has a 0% vacancy rate. So she is able to turn it over. Literally, one person moves out and the next person moves in the next day. She's had pictures done. She's had Maintenance done, everything she's been able to do from over here. And she's never had to fly back once to manage it. So that's incredible. Yeah, it is. There's a lot of proof and a lot of success stories out there. Um, And I'm actually about to become a long distance landlord myself. So I'm experiencing it too. Yeah, because all of my properties are here in Louisville, Kentucky. Literally, in four days from now, we are moving to Colorado. So I will be a long distance landlord officially.
0: Wow, that is exciting. What, uh, What prompted the move to Colorado?
2: Well, now that we are financially independent and we can sort of go wherever we want, we've always wanted to move out west and we're really into hiking and the outdoors. So it's just something my husband and I have always wanted to do. And now we're finally making it happen.
0: I love that. I love those stories. Yeah. I mean, being financially independent, you talk about being retired in 2019, which I think for so many people is like an envious state to be in and that you have over $10,000 per month in passive income. And so I'm curious, like, Uh, Walk me through a little little bit of the passive income. I mean, obviously, we've talked a little bit about the real estate piece, but like, what are some of those other buckets to fill up like passive income? Because I think for so many people that feels like so out of reach.
2: Yeah. And it's crazy to think about because it felt out of reach too. I mean, I didn't have any passive income just three years ago. So this $10,000 per month, we have been able to build up in three years. So it's really astounding how how far you can come in such a short period wow. of time. Um, yeah. So I have passive income from three sources, but two of the sources make up like 95% of it. And one is the real estate. And on any given month, we're making between seven and $12,000 in profit per month just from the real estate. And then my other big source of passive income is the royalties from my two best-selling books. Um, so Money, Honey and Passive Income, Aggressive Retirement. I actually just had my first $7,000 month in book sales. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so that makes up a really big chunk now. So really, I think our passive income these days is closer to fifteen thousand dollars a month, and we're hoping to get to the twenty thousand dollar mark in the next few months.
0: That is so exciting! Like, I love hearing those stories. So you, you talked about your book, your new book, out passive income aggressive retirement. Before we kind of go through like more in the book, like tell me a little bit about like the strategy behind behind like launching the book and getting it to actually be a passive income source. Yeah, and
2: so I I you know some people have maybe misconceptions about what passive income is. So passive income is money that is earned with little to no ongoing work. Now, here's the catch though, is that passive income it does take money or time to create. So there's sort of two stages. In stage 1, you're building the passive income stream. So for me, this would be writing the book, marketing the book, launching the book. And then in stage 2, once you have your passive income stream going, then it becomes a lot more hands-off. And that's where it really becomes passive, right? Because there's nothing passive about writing a book,
0: right? (laughs) No, not at all.
2: (laughs) Right. So the passive income comes after I've launched it. And now I'm just doing, you know, a couple hours per week of marketing efforts just to maintain my sales. And so that's what's great about it. Um, So in terms of how... How to do this. There was, there's a source that I recommend. Um, it's a book that I found. It's called Published by Chandler Bolt. And before I had ever written a book, I always felt this desire to write a book. In fact, I think I read recently that something like 82 or 84, 84% of Americans want to write and publish a book.
0: I believe it, yeah.
2: Yeah, so this is really something that I think is on a lot of people's bucket lists. The problem for me was that I had no clue how to do this. I mean, how does one write and (laughs) self-publish and launch a book, you know? And make money. (laughs) Yeah, and successful financially. Um, But this book called "Published" by Chandler Bolt it really talks you through everything that you need to know to do this, from finding a book idea to outlining to here's how you have a launch group that can help you launch your group or launch your book, and here's how you can continue to market it afterwards successfully. So once I had the tools, then I then it was easy for me. I sat down, I followed his process, and I launched both of my books very successfully.
0: I honestly would use Ernan in lots of different ways, but what's on my mind recently is I need a night out. I need some good tacos to sip on a few virgin margaritas and celebrate you all helping this podcast earn 26 million downloads. Make Earning a part of your financial routine and join Earning's over 3.5 million customers who say things like, when I think about Earning, I think about financial stability and security. Gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earning Today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earning app, type in Talkin' Money under podcast when you sign up. It will really help the show talking money under podcast. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank, subject to your available earnings daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. The weather is getting warmer. I'm so excited. And it is time to say goodbye to all those jackets and sweaters and hello to the shorts and t-shirts. plus they will never sell your data to third party or show you ads i think that's really important after trying out monarch for myself i understand why it is the top rated personal finance app and now listeners of this show get an extended 30 day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com/etm that's m o n a r c h m o n e y.com/etm for your extended 30 day free trial Today's Tuesday and we have an Ask Shauna. This one comes from Sarah. Sarah says, Hi Shauna, thank you so much for the podcast. I have been binging on episodes the last few weeks as we isolate and stay home. I guess I'll ask what is probably on everybody's mind. What money steps should I be taking right now that are smart? Should I be spending money or saving money? What do I need to know? Thank you for being a friend during these tough times and I can't wait to hear all of the new episodes. Sarah, this is a great question. There are so many changes around the world each day that it's really hard to keep up, but I'm going to be sharing some tips over the next few episodes as things change. So here are some thoughts for today. First, if you're in the US, you probably already know this, but in case you don't, the tax filing deadline and also payment deadline has been extended to July 15th. That means You will not incur any penalties if you do not file your taxes or pay what you owe until July 15th. So definitely take advantage of this, especially if you're an entrepreneur, self-employed, small business owner, and you know you're going to owe money. Why not take advantage of this if you haven't already filed your taxes? It just gives you a little bit of a pad. Maybe you need to use some of that money now, move things around, whatever it might be, but that gives you a little bit of a buffer space. I know I'm definitely taking advantage of it, so I encourage you to as well. Another thing about student loan interest, it has been deferred for 60 days. You can also elect to suspend your payments for up to 60 days. So I would take this if you need it. But here is something you need to know. You need to call your student loan servicing company. I actually tried to do this online for a friend and there aren't any options. So we actually sat on hold with the student loan servicing company for, uh, it was a couple of hours. And then we actually got disconnected on Friday. Really, really frustrated me. But you just need to expect long wait times. But again, take advantage of this. You're not going to have any penalties for doing this. But if you decide that you can go ahead and make your student loan payment, this is a great way to dent a little bit into what you owe. So really think through what is the best option for you. And there is no shame. I'm going to tell you right now. There is no shame in taking advantage of all of this stuff right now. Not paying your taxes till July 15th, suspending your student loans, whatever you need to do, there is no shame, all right? We are all in the same boat on this one. If you're unemployed or really nervous about expenses, first make a list of all the expenses that you have to pay. Like, really know what your expenses are, know what the due dates are, call those companies. There are mortgage companies like Bank of America right now that are allowing you to suspend mortgage payments. Credit card companies are going to have to bend and flex. Cell phone, utilities, car payment, whatever it may be. Ask the questions now. Get on the live chat with these people. Call them on the phone. Don't just assume you can just skip a payment and it will be okay. Be proactive, all right? And again, there's no shame right now in saying, hey, I need like a 30-day break on my expenses. And do what you can with the expenses where you can either postpone it, pay it later, like take advantage of that. On the flip side, another thing to think about is, can you actually use some money right now to gain a new skill, learn something new? What about writing an ebook or designing a virtual workshop? Really be creative and think about how you can enhance your skills right now. There are so many places that are offering free classes, low-cost classes. Maybe you have a skill. Maybe you're a a chef or a yoga instructor or a money expert like me, whatever it may be. Use the technology right now. Put up some sort of workshop. It doesn't have to be perfect. And yes, you can actually charge for it. Not everything has to be free, right? People find value in things that they pay for. So don't let all of that just be thrown out the window. Think of the things that you can do right now to really be creative and bring in some extra money. Invest in your business. Make that stimulus check that might be coming to you. Make it grow. Put it to good use. Also, you know, think about can you cut out any unnecessary expenses? It's not hard to do right now, honestly. But think twice before just like hitting the buy now button for clothes and things that you just really don't need right now. Like we're all living in yoga pants, right? Please tell me yes. And lastly, cultivate this healthy money mindset. Lean into the tips that I have shared Over the last few years with you, keeping your head focused and not stressed out right now really is going to help you to see options, to see what is available, to be proactive, to make that action list every day and start checking things off. So these are just some tips right now, but I'm going to be sharing so many more as things change. Remember to love yourself and your community right now. Be smart. Stay healthy. Also, I'm going to have a few bonus episodes up this week one coming up where I'm going to share with you about an upcoming virtual workshop, money workshop, of course, that I'm going to be holding in April, so definitely stay tuned for that. I love that because I, um, I have actually been writing my first book, and it sat in my head for a couple of years and I went back and oscillated between, uh, like, do I want to find a book publisher? Do I want to go through all of that? Is that even worth it to me to, you know what? I, I know what I'm doing. I have the tools. Like, why don't I just self-publish it? And I, I love that there's this movement now of it being possible to launch things out in the world. A, without having a huge publisher or tons of money or whatever it may be, that you can actually put your ideas. Obviously, they have to be good. They have to be executed well. But that there are these avenues to do these things. And your story is proof that it can become a passive income source for you. And I think those stories need to be shared more.
2: Oh, absolutely! And I love that you brought up to the self-publishing versus traditional publishing. Um, self-publishing is so cool because anyone can do it, and that's why I love passive income is because it's truly such an attainable source of income, and it's an attainable way to uh, retire early and achieve financial independence. And before I learned about self-publishing, you know, all I really had heard about was traditional publishing. You know, you write yeah. a book, you get a book deal with one of the big publishers, and then you publish a book, and you. Basically,
0: make no money in the process. Exactly. So, (laughs) unless you're a big author. Exactly. Because
2: when you publish traditionally, you're making a 15% royalty and you're still expected to do most, if not all, of the promoting and marketing of your book. Which to me, once I learned that, I was like, well, that doesn't make any sense because I could self publish. I'm still going to have to do all the marketing and I could be making anywhere from a 35 to 70% royalty on Amazon, which is an enormous difference.
0: Yeah. I like those numbers much better. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So uh, tell me a little bit about like in your book, you, you break down a lot of different like passive income strategies, which, which I love. How do you, if you're someone and you like this idea of passive income, like how do you vet out the different strategies and like figure out what might actually work for you? Like, and and then I guess maybe to complement that, like, how do you then decide like, okay, this is my thing. Like I'm going to go do this thing. Yeah, for sure. Great question. In my
2: book, I talk about 28 different passive income models. So there are plenty ideas out there. And the point I make is you don't have to try all 28 of these. You don't have to try even 10 or five. All it takes is one passive income stream to make work and you can continue to grow and increase that passive income stream. So there's definitely plenty of things that people can do. The first step is really asking yourself Uh, which do you have more of, time or money? Mm -hmm. Because it will require time or money to build a passive income stream. And the the follow-up question is, because my automatic response to that is, hey, I have neither. I don't have time and I don't have money, (laughs) right? (laughs) Right? So the follow-up question is, okay, if you don't have either one, which one will be easier to create? Will it be easier for you to create additional time to free up time or to free up or create additional money? Because there's no, I mean, there's no, get-rich-quick scheme here. This isn't something that you snap your fingers and you have this money tree that's making money. So it does take work. Um, So that's what I would recommend, just kind of thinking about that in the beginning, because that way you can sort of narrow things down. Like if you have a lot of money, maybe you want to do something where you can generate portfolio income and generate income from dividends from stocks. You know, that's something that requires a lot of money to make a significant income. Or depending on how you do it, um, you could look at rental properties. Sometimes that requires a decent chunk of money to invest in a rental property. On the other hand, though, if you have more time, maybe you would consider doing something to create royalty income. So writing a book, um, writing and launching an online course. You know, if you're a musician, this is what musicians do. They write songs and they generate royalties from their music. So the royalty income category is really broad, and I think it's more attainable because it it requires more of a time investment
0: than a money investment. Exactly. Yeah. And so in in your book like walking through these 28 different examples if you're the like average person, you're you're getting into passive income, how many like revenue streams do you think it, it are is there like a crystal ball sort of number of like oh if you have 3 or 4 or 5 or 10 different passive income streams or is it just really opening your brain up to the idea that all of these are possible maybe not something that you want to do all of these 28 but you could certainly try your hand at a bunch of these yeah so I, there's no clear cut number but i think that the
2: best strategy is is narrow it down to the the number one passive income model that is that sounds the easiest to create or that you're the most excited about and try with that first and maybe you'll find okay this isn't as Generating as much money as you hoped it would, or maybe you're not as passionate about this as you wanted to be, and then maybe you can try another one and add it to that. So you could be somebody that tries a lot of these different passive income streams, and you have, you know, ten passive income streams that are each generating five hundred bucks a month. You know, that's yeah. a great way to do it. Or you could do something the way more the way that I'm doing it. I have two main ones, but some people just have one. Like there's a lot of people who are completely retired because of their real estate investments. And so some people just want to focus on one thing, hit it out of the park with that, continue to grow that passive income stream until it's big enough, and then they're done. And really, the secret is, you know, the epiphany that I had is a few years ago is that once your passive income exceeds your living expenses, that's when you're retired. So that's what you want to aim for. Um, But for me personally, and what I would recommend is... Don't just aim for that. Aim for more than that, uh, because you want to have buffer room. You want to, if if you're me, you want to still be able to save money each month, because that just makes me feel more comfortable and really feel like I have that financial security. So that's why we aimed for ten thousand dollars a month. I mean, that more than covers our living expenses. So we're still able to save a few thousand dollars and just have that buffer room, so we feel very comfortable.
0: Yeah, I really like you sharing that, that epiphany because there's a lot of chatter out there about the, the fire movement, what it means, what it doesn't mean. And I think, you know, just simply thinking about it in those terms is a great way to put it in perspective to people. Um, I did, I did have one question about real estate since that actually is, you know, one of your sort of two core passive incomes. So. what do you do with, with real estate? I'm trying to think of like the right way to phrase this question, but obviously there are real estate bubbles. Things happen. Um, you know, maybe there are maintenance issues with like a particular property. Like walk me through like some of the, the risks that go on investing in real estate and maybe like how you've managed to, to overcome those or like think those through or plan for those.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of risks. There's risks with anything that you do with your money, um, but you can really reduce or eliminate those if you're, if you're smart about it. So one of the big risks um, that I see or, or even mistakes that people make is thinking that, okay, if I rent out the house for X amount, We'll just say a thousand dollars, and my mortgage payment is eight hundred dollars. Then I'll be profiting two hundred dollars per month, right? Uh, but no, that is not right <laughs> because you people forget to take into account all the other expenses that come along with homeownership. So you have to ask yourself, well, who's going to be responsible for the utilities, the tenant or the owner? Um, who's going to do pest control? Who's going to do lawn care, lawn maintenance? And then you know, if you have, if you're in a homeowners as- homeowners. As- association, association, then you have that HOA fee. Um, And then there's things like vacancy. Maybe it's not going to be rented 100% of the days because there might be a week or two between tenants when you're turning over the unit. Um, Then you have maintenance and repair. And then you have this whole other bucket of capital expenditures, which are really the big ticket items that Eventually, you will have to repair over time. So, things like a roof, the HVAC, um, the flooring, you know, things that they're not going to last for yeah. 20 entire years, maybe. So, you have to also factor that in. So, I think that the risk becomes for people will I actually profit from this rental? And that risk can be completely eliminated by just planning for all these different things and factoring it in from the get go. And really ensuring that you're accounting for everything and even adding like an additional 20% buffer is what I'd recommend. Yeah, I because was gonna I,
0: say, what what's the buffer margin there? <laughs>
2: yeah, I always do 20%. Here, here's what you wanna do. When I do, when I run my numbers before I put an offer in on a property, I wanna be so conservative with my numbers. And maybe I think, okay, I'm gonna make 250 bucks in profit from this property. That's what my estimates are. I wanna be so conservative that when it actually comes down to it and I buy the property. And I'm renting it out. I'm actually beating my numbers and I'm making more than I thought. That's the right way to do it. And that's going to ensure that you're really accounting for all those different risks that are associated in terms of financial.
0: That's Um, such great
2: advice. Yeah, thanks. And I would say another big risk that landlords would probably agree is a risk is just your tenants, (laughs) because anytime you're dealing with other humans in your business, that's a liability. You know, that's a liability because they're not going to take care of the property the way that you would. Um, If it's a multi-unit property, you know, what if they're causing issues for the other tenants? What if something happens on your property that they caused, but you're the owner and you're responsible? You know, so there's big risks there. And the question I get a lot is, well, how do I find a good tenant? Because I think for landlord's tenants can be one of the hardest things to deal with for a property. Um, I know for us, that's made it very difficult at times. And you certainly don't want to invest in real estate to become a full-time landlord and to have to deal with all those issues. So not only do you want good tenants, but you want to have Um, a property manager in place. And you want to account for that in your financials as well. Um, And that can be difficult because finding a good property management company that's trustworthy can be hard. Um, So that's another risk. It's just all about, in my opinion, to eliminate or reduce the risk. It's all about having the right expectations going in and really accounting for the risks from the get-go because that's the only way to
0: manage them. Did you like from your first property, did you account for these risks or did you have any moments where like, oh, man, I I totally forgot to think about that or this or, you know, had some of those sort of like whammy in the face moments? Oh my gosh, I am still learning. You know, I'm still <laughs> making mistakes. So here's a
2: funny story, which wasn't funny at the time, but it is now. Um, you know, there was one time that we bought this property that was vacant, and we were going to be doing some work on it to get it ready for people to live in, and we had bought this security system. Um, and on the day of closing, you know, I took the security system over to the property, but I fig- my husband was out of town at the time, so I figured we could wait a few days to install the security system. Oh, and no. in the meantime, I had like appliances delivered to the property as well, like brand new appliances. Um, so yeah, that first night, the uh, property was broken into and robbed. Oh. Um, now, luckily, and thank goodness for this. These people that robbed us were not Professionals, they didn't have a way to carry out appliances and to haul those off, so they took anything that they could carry, which was like the security system that yeah. was boxed up. <laughs> of course, <laughs> they, they stole my security system. Yeah, it's the most ironic thing. Um, and they stole like some some tools and equipment and the microwaves or whatever. But um, I think it was like a thousand dollars total in damage, but it really could have been a lot worse. And luckily for us, you know, we had built that buffer into our numbers. We were able to pay for it and get by fine. And we learned a big lesson, which is when you buy a vacant property, make sure you protect your physical property and get that security system up right away. <laughs>
0: Yeah, for sure. Right. You're going to never make never make that mistake again.
2: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. It it cost me a thousand dollars to learn that. So that was an important education lesson for me.
0: (laughs) But I love that you share that because I feel like like too often we talk about the successes that people have and we don't share like the moments of fear or the when things don't go right or that it doesn't have to all be perfect or you don't have to have everything figured out in the beginning. I think those are really important stories to share because I know, at least for me, that then like further motivates me of like, I, I could do this, like this is possible for me, for me, like it moves me from that place of like, there's no way I could get there to, yeah, I could do it.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, you just have to know you're going to make mistakes as you go. And that's all a part of the learning process. And, you know, I'm two, I'm two and a half, three years into this, and I'm still learning. I'm still thinking, oh, man, yeah, that's something I probably should have included in my lease. And then I'll make a note and make sure I revise my lease for the next tenant. But, you know, so it's, it's, you're always learning in the, in the business.
0: So your, your new book, Passive Income, Aggressive Retirement, uh, have you always, I, when I was reading the book, I was like thinking about this, like, have you always been interested in this idea of passive income or where did this like really like bubble up, rise up in you that you were like, okay, th- this is how I want to live my life? Yeah. You know, I was
2: always one of those people that I, I just had this gut feeling that I don't, I don't think I ever would have been fully satisfied working for somebody else. I truly wanted to either find a way to achieve financial independence or be my own business owner where I could control my time and where I worked and if and when I wanted to work, you know, time is your most valuable resource. Anyone can go out and make another dollar, but none of us can create another minute. So time is your most valuable resource and being able to be in full control of your time is one of the most powerful things. So I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for where I am now. I mean, I'm astonished that we were able to do this so quickly. Um, and it's it's something that i always wanted to work towards but i don't think i ever heard of the concept of passive income until after we even invested in our first rental property wow And then I started hearing about passive income. Um, You know, so real estate investing was really my initial way of trying to achieve early retirement and financial independence. And once I started learning about passive income, I just realized that there were so many ways to generate passive income. And so I started thinking of all the different ways that I could do this. And that's where a lot of the material from my book came is just from my own hours and hours and hours of research. Um, And another cool thing that I started to do was talk to experts that had already achieved early retirement and passive income. And I started to pick their brain. So like in the book, I interviewed Hal Elrod, who is the international bestselling author of The Miracle Morning. And I interviewed Bobby Hoyt, who has created um, this extremely successful blog and has online courses and makes over like 50 or 100 grand per month or something insane. He's the founder of <laughs> yes. the Millennial Money Man. Yeah. So very cool. And I got to interview David Osborne, who is one of the most successful real estate franchise owners in the world. So it was through a lot of these conversations with people that I got really excited. And I realized, man, this is actually a lot easier to retire this way. Like this is something anybody can do, even if they're starting from nothing. I mean, that's where I started. Even if they don't have a ton of money, they can do passive income. So once I started learning more about this, I just got so excited and I realized this is what I wanted to focus on. And you know, I thought it was going to take us years and years. But once we got going, that momentum just builds quickly. And it's it's really surprising how much you can accomplish in just a few short years.
0: All of this like gets me just so excited because I know for so many people, this is like a passion, but it's always the how. How do I do this? How do I start? So I I just, I loved reading your book because you really like walked through these different examples in a way that I think anybody could see themselves as this being like a possibility for them. And you have you have so much personal finance advice. I would love to just kind of like sum up, like if you could distill everything that you've learned this far down to like maybe your top, you know, one or two best money tips that you think everyone should know and master, what, what would those be? Oh my gosh,
2: absolutely. I get so fired up about the topic of, of personal finance. So I could just give so many tips. But, you know, one thing that is so important, just in general, like a general extremely important financial tip is to start investing at a young age. No matter if you're investing in the stock market or investing in real estate or whatever it may be, start as soon as you can because time is your biggest advantage. Even if you don't pick the best investments or have a ton of money, you will still be better off than an expert investor who waits 10 years from now to start investing. You know, So the saying goes, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, but the second best time is today. So don't wait to start investing. It's one of the most important things you can do to set yourself up for your financial future. Um, Another really important concept in terms of money management is just the idea that delayed gratification is so important. So having the discipline to say no to something today that maybe you want to buy but you don't need to buy will give you so much more freedom in the future to say yes to all the different things that you want to buy. And really what I've learned and what I believe is that delayed gratification is the single biggest factor in your financial success. So I think it's so important to have that self-discipline and to really think about your future self and what are the things things you can do today to take care of your future self.
0: I know, especially now, Rachel's story really inspires me. There are so many different ways to build a passive income strategy. And I know I'm going to be stealing, I mean, borrowing, of course, a few of her tips. You can find Rachel on her site at mymoneyhoneyrachel.com and pick up her two books, Money, Honey and Passive Income, Aggressive Retirement, both on Amazon I'll have links to all of that in the show notes. She also loves to post funny memes on social media. We could all use a few of those right now. So check her out on Money Honey Rachel on Instagram. And I want to leave you with something a little bit different today with a message from the Kind Message. It says History will remember when the world stopped and the flights stayed on the ground and the cars parked in the street and the trains didn't run. History will remember when the schools closed and the children stayed indoors and the medical staff walked towards the fire and they didn't run. History will remember when the people sang on their balconies in isolation, but so very much together in courage and song. History will remember when the people fought for their old and their weak, protected the vulnerable by doing nothing at all. History will remember when the virus left and and the houses open, and the people came out, and they hugged and kissed and started again, kinder than before.
1: Hey, you. Yes, you. Before you go, we want to say thanks for listening to this episode of Millennial Money. For all the links, tags, and ads you've heard on today's episode, check out the show notes or go to mmoneypodcast.com